podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net and follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns once more, maybe more than once more. Today we sing one spell, with all you are is mine to use, we'll be doing an overview of the night side. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast All You Are Is Mine to Use, we discuss the books and other releases for our Invisible Sun games. The night side is out, and we're going to talk it over a bit. I, <laughs> I gave you some real bad English there, didn't I? <laughs> uh, I it'll be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's appropriate. It's the night side. It, nothing matters. <laughs> right. We, uh, this was a case where we were writing text for each other, and it uh, doesn't always work out great. Um, and uh, then I improvise over some of it to make it worse. But anyway, uh, we uh, wanted to uh, break our silence for a little bit to talk about the most recent release for the Invisible Sun game. Uh, I believe this is the second to the last re- release planned as of now for the game. Uh, this is the book called The Night Side. Yeah, there's uh, one last book that's planned to be coming out called The Threshold, and at the time of this recording, it was set to become uh, to come out in June. I'm not sure if that's going to change, um, but hey, I guess we should shout out Brandon. Hey, Brandon, if you want to talk about Threshold, like get in touch. We we will likely have a good bit of lead time to schedule such a uh, discussion uh, yeah. because. Yeah, it's not in, uh, as far as I know, it's not in layout yet either. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um, Brand, Brandon will know a lot more about the threshold than we will. <laughs> that does not shock me. Uh, but these are some of the uh, final planned books. Uh, this book is a bit different in form factor than, than the others. Uh, rather than intending to slide into one of the uh, slipcases uh, and in a uh, shape, that's similar to the other books in the Invisible Sun series. The Night Side is more of a, uh, almost like a more of an indie. Uh, what is what size is this? Uh, eight and a half by five and a half book. Yeah, I think so. Uh, this is and, and it comes in its own slipcase, uh, but this this slipcase is actually a uh, bag with a rune on the front of it that is supposed to protect. Uh, well, I guess everything from the Night Side book. It's supposed to contain the. Uh, nightside magics of this nightside book. I I have a confession. I took I took my book out of the bag and it's never going to go back in. Yeah, I had I'm not sure mine's ever going back in. Uh, there's a couple of either tears or, or stress points um, that I created trying to take the book out of the bag. The book the bag fits exactly over the book. Uh, <laughs> yep. the bag also contains uh, some new cards. There's objects of power, there's incantations, there's spells, there's Vance spells. Uh, so there's uh, some other little pieces for our game that come with this that are all themed along the night side. Uh, it's an impressive package, but I don't, I'm not sure my book's ever going back in that bag either. There, there's a, there are a pair of Weaver aggregates in there as well. Oh, yes. 
and and uh, my I've got two weavers in my game, so those may be particularly interesting. I, I may take these aggregates to the newer weaver who has not been very happy with his threads uh-huh. and see if we can concoct a story uh, if he wants one of these threads instead. So Scott, I think you owe me a thank you. Oh, I'm sure I do. Because uh, when I talked to Monty about Nightside, I had asked him about Weaver aggregates. And uh-huh. this was like, ooh, this is at uh, GameholeCon in November of 2018, I think. That's how, I think I recall you talking about that conversation. Yeah. And at the time, he wasn't planning on having any aggregates in there or I think any cards at all. And and I had said, oh, how cool would it be to have like nightside focused aggregates for weavers? And he said, <laughs> oh, that is an interesting idea. So I I take full credit for these cards being in the book. Right. Other than, of course, all the writing credit. But uh, yes. Well, yeah. Other than that, like they, they did all the work. I just I just planted this seed. Yes. Um, I think it's and I do think it's a it's a great idea. Um and uh, you can also blame Dave for any problems they create uh, in your <laughs> games as people try to interpret uh, these aggregates, which I must say are no more ambiguous than the other uh, aggregates. But still, uh, they will be interesting to kind of weave in with the uh, aggregates that are currently in the game. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you know offhand what the aggregates are since we're talking so much about them? Um, no, like, but I am a mere vamping seconds away. Yeah, I believe one of them was like uh, Temptation, or I might just be thinking of aspects of the night side itself. But, I mean, we have a whole bunch of things as I'm paging through here. Like, there's other magical practices that, you know, you've got a bunch of long-form magic. You have uh, all sorts of new spells in here, which is really cool. Um, we're going to touch on... Um, it's not, I'm trying to remember what it is, experimental magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to touch on one of the things they have in there. Um, but that's really neat. Yes, the two new aggregates are darkness and temptation. Cool. And I do think they will combine well with some of the other aggregates. Uh, you, you want aggregates that, are, that, don't, that don't overlap with some that already exist, but that still connect in various ways. And I think these are constructed to do just that. Yeah, that's real cool. Um, I would be excited to see these at the table. Mm-hmm. So we can go back through the book. We've mentioned kind of an overview of what's in this book, but we'll, we'll go back through and talk about some of these sections and pieces uh, in greater detail. So there is an introduction, which is particularly important in this case because it's trying to distinguish uh, the uh, night side from the dark. And this is a very difficult distinction for a lot of people. Um, I can't say I fully understand the distinction, but it's uh, it tries to give some pointers on how to make the night side, not just the evil side, uh, which is really more of what the dark is, um, but its own, st- its own style, its own theme. Um, I guess if I had to sum up the two, the dark and the night side, like... I've seen this mentioned before in some of the books, but my sense of the dark is that it's all about annihilation, just like utter destruction Mm -hmm. of everything. Mm -hmm. And the night side is more about nihilism and how, you know, it's all about focusing on very 
self-centered interests. Yeah, I think, well, well, nihilism is also all about nothingness. Um, but yeah, this is where it, it, it's hard to distinguish sometimes. I, I the, the closest I can come to distinguishing them is that the night side is more about control and purposeful destruction. Destruction that's attempting to accomplish something, mm-hmm. which is itself not nihilistic. It's it's so it's it's trying to it's using destructive means to accomplish some constructive goal. Uh, though most people might not think the goal is worth the destruction, whereas the dark is about destruction for destruction's sake, and that there is no intentionality to it. There's no goal that it's building towards. Its goal is nothingness. Yeah. And but that that can be hard to distinguish in play sometimes. So there's some discussion of, of how to do that, and I think some useful advice uh, on how to distinguish the night side uh, from the dark. Uh, but it's uh, a, a, another analogy from kind of comic books is I, I thought of as the uh, dark side's anti-life equation. Which uh, is, we're talking DC canon. Sorry, I yes. don't I don't know anything about DC. Well, then then, then I uh, then I at least have one person who won't be correcting me. Um, well, all right, cool. But I'm, I'm sure there'll be oh, many of our listeners that will. <laughs> I do have one correction. It is pronounced dark seed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the anti-life equation is one of the things that he is always pursuing. Uh, and I, as far as I know, the only time I'm familiar with him at getting access to it is in a series called Final Crisis by Grant Morrison, uh, a name we have mentioned many times mm-hmm. uh, in having surreal comic books and uh, it's it's out there. It's really hard to understand, uh, especially for a mainstream superhero comic book. But the anti-life equation in Morrison's formulation is about the the uh, about extinguishing free will, and so okay. it's about control over everybody. And access to the anti-life equation means you have access to the ability to snuff out free will in others and and bend them entirely to your will. That seems very night side, as opposed to just nihilism, which would be more like, um, I guess, you know, double Thanos. The goal is to destroy everything. Yeah. But it can be hard to distinguish in practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the introduction also emphasizes that when using themes about control, deception, temptation, corruption, these sorts of things associated with the night side, uh, consent is very, very important. I mean, it's always important, but I guess it's more endangered in these, um, with these themes. You're more likely to come into uh, subject matter in your game that might uh, cause trauma to people in the game. So there's some discussion of uh, consent tools and the need for establishing consent with your group. So you have boundaries. Some people might not want to ever talk about spiders Others might not want to ever talk about mind control because of the implications that it has for uh, kind of in in analogy to uh, various kinds of of abuse in our world. So you you have to talk to your players about this. Uh, I'll also mention that uh, not entirely coincidentally, uh, Monty Cook Games released in really in relation to the horror cipher system book um, and, and a free PDF of tools to help uh, groups uh, establish these consent rules. That was their consent in gaming. Like I believe PDF it's called consent in gaming. Yes, yeah. it's it's free. It's available on their website, and it provides uh, a variety of tools, like an inventory of things that might come up, 
that people can then just say, this is fine. Oh yeah, I want more of this. Absolutely none of this. And there's, you know, different, you could evaluate different topics uh, at, at these different levels. Um, and so that that's a, a PDF I'd recommend checking out if you want to explore the uh, night side in, uh, in detail in your game. But that just sets up then the, uh, what we might call the, the substance of the night side book, uh, by which I really mean the gameable portions, the parts that, that add to your, to, to your characters um, and to your world. And it starts with some general discussion of nightside magic, but with um, effects on the player characters themselves. That using nightside magic will have spiritual and physical effects on characters. If someone gives in to the nightside, it might start to exaggerate the um, negative aspect of their heart, for instance. A, a gallant may become more arrogant and domineering. So it just sort of exaggerates the kind of the the what's generally thought of as the drawback for for an individual heart. A stoic may become far removed, far far removed, uh, to the point where they may have difficulty connecting and communicating with people. But the night side exaggerates this aspect of every heart. I know that our our group plays a good bit with hearts. We don't play a lot with souls, but there's also implications. Really, there's like one paragraph describing how souls may also have a similar uh, uh, connection to the night side, that if you use night side magic too much, your, uh, your soul may become uh, exaggerated in a, in a dark uh, uh, night side sort of way. Yeah. At my table, like hearts, I would say that hearts are more on the mind of the players because every time you flip over a sooth card, you're looking at what heart is associated with it. So it's something you're reminded about all the time in the game, but the the soul of a character. I mean these these are the secret souls, aren't they? Yes. Like these are secret souls. Like people don't know what the secret souls are. So it's not something that you're reminded of. It's something that you're keeping secret for the most part. There are a few times in the game that it says you have to reveal your secret soul in order to do this thing. Um, so yeah, at my table too, like hearts were something that everybody remembers. We have a heart, but the secret souls, that was that was one aspect that we never really used in the game. Yeah, I could see how one could build a campaign around souls and oh, yeah. uh, the whole mecha you know, mechanics and society of souls. Uh, it'd be very interesting, but yeah, that's not the direction uh, my table went either. It's a good RP aid. So uh, as an example, the, that, you know, the, the secret soul of the doctor provides the player with a, a, a more specific focus for their uh, construction of the character than just mm -hmm. the four, soul, or four hearts that we have. Uh, when interacting too much with the night side, that doctor could become uh, very cold and calculating and lose their emotional connection to who are presumably their patients. Uh, the you know, whoever it is the doctor is serving, and so it, it the night side can pervert the secret soul as well. If and and this might just be something that you mentioned to players, and that just just as the soul provides more of a background RP element for for characters, the corruption of that soul can also be more of a background RP uh, concern for those characters to play as as they choose. But it's it's a prompt that they can uh, respond to if they want. 
and it, it's useful in that regard. Yeah, and I gotta say, like I've been, I've not been running Invisible Sun for for a little while now, and this is the sort of stuff that I miss from Invisible Sun's system, which is like, all right, you have this sort of, you have this feature that sort of. Uh, you can use to summarize what your character's personality is like. You can use this as a jumping off point. And then with these supplements that come later, you can continue to use those characteristics and these supplements give you suggestions of how it's like using this sort of stuff in the setting is going to impact your character, not in a mechanical way, but in a role-playing sort of way. And like this is the kind of stuff that I really miss from Invisible Sun. It reminds me of the system from the old World of Darkness games where every character, I think maybe even just Vampire, uh, had uh, a nature and a demeanor. Mm -hmm. And your nature was a secret, sort of like your soul. Your demeanor was your public face. And so the tension between your nature and your demeanor was uh, where you sort of generated a lot of your role-playing energy, (laughs) the, the inspiration for your particular character. Well, here you could use heart and soul for that. And when interacting with the night side, uh, there is now a a story component that will play off of these elements of your character. Um, Not so much in a mechanical way, but at least give you a prompt to re-engage and possibly change the way that you're presenting your character based on their heart and their soul. But these RP effects aren't the only ones. Uh, we, there's also physical effects, uh, though these are described in somewhat ambiguous ways because uh, I'm sure different tables will may want to ignore this entirely um, or will play this a bit differently. But the book suggests that extensive interaction with the night side may lead to uh, physical effects ranging from the merely cosmetic to actual, phys- uh, actual uh, uh, mechanical uh, costs like vexes and scourges. But there aren't a lot of guidelines as to when you would move down the spectrum from cosmetic to, to scourge. Uh, I also think it's interesting that uh, they call out that any sort of drawback you have here should come along with some sort of advantage. That's that's not called out in the spiritual stuff, but it is in the physical aspect. Right. That If you're just telling someone to role play uh, their doctor becoming more cold and calculating... That's just giving mm-hmm. some role-playing advice. But if you're going to t- tell people, oh, by the way, every time you roll a uh, an interaction test, uh, you have now have a scourge because of your night side connection. That should only happen if there's some counterbalancing advantage they've gained by that night side connection. Mm-hmm. And this could be new spells. This could be the uh, other elements we're, we'll talk about soon. But it, it should be something that represents becoming more powerful in one aspect of the character, like literally with Benet and dice rolls and that sort, that side of power uh, to compensate for this uh, complication on another part of the mechanical element of the character. And you can imagine this corruption being, as I mentioned, the, you know, interaction uh, that, Oh, well you, you literally reek of the night side and people don't want to listen to you take a scourge in, uh, your interaction pool, but you could also imagine this in your movement pool because your physical body has been corrupted, and mm-hmm. that uh, that you know your your uh, your leg has somehow become withered because of your interaction with the night side, and you can't run as fast as you could, 
or yeah, you, that, you know, that third leg you grew makes you a little bit more clumsy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so and just about any pool could potentially be affected by uh, your interaction with the night side. And you just play that out. Uh, however, it kind of emerges from the story in your game. One way it might emerge most directly, and uh, you could do this without directly naming the night side, is the reference to, or is the use of experimental magic. Ooh. Yes. Um, this might not only be night side magic, but it's yeah, a major I don't component think it is. of night side magic. Yeah. So one of the things that comes in the, the pouch of night side goodness is a new die. The new die is a 10-sided die, but only one of the 10 sides is marked. And it is marked so, such that you would roll, whenever you're using an experimental form of magic, you would roll this die also. Because it has no markings other than that one, it cannot contribute to your success. However, if, you, if that one sigil comes up, it is indicating a special site of experimental flux. And so it's adding to the chance of random, usually negative consequences for your spells. So when you're using experimental spells, they aren't necessarily less effective, but they're more likely to go wrong. Yeah, so I was reading through this part, and I, yeah, I don't think it's just nightside stuff. There is a section in here called Combined Practices, and I think we should just jump to mm -hmm. that one. Um, yes. But Combined Practices are these magical practices that take a bunch of different um, spells and rituals and whatnot, uh, probably secrets and other things, and it gives you this sort of recipe. Like if you... Well, how about I just go to one of these things and take a look uh, rather than trying to remember what these were off the top of my head. So let's say you wanted to use your um, uh, the spell Fermenta and Evil Eye. You could you know, cast these things together and then the next action that a target takes would just automatically fail. So that's an experimental, uh, it's a combined practice because it's taking these two spells and mashing them together. So if you're casting this, uh, you roll your dice and you roll the experimental die along with it, uh, and that can cause more flux, which, hey, that's exciting. Um, and something that came up in the playtest so many years ago when I was running it for a group of friends of mine uh, the two weavers that I had in that group, they said, hey, can we weave our spells together? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, sure, why not? Let's let's goof around with the system and see what happens. Um, if I were doing that now, I would say, yeah, we can do this. Uh, and you're going to be rolling this experimental die whenever you do that. Right. And, and I have had within the past month or so a very similar interest emerge from now that I have two weavers. They, they said, well, you know, weaving, we should be able to weave together. I'm like, yes, you should. Let's, let's work on that. <laughs> and now we have a way to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Because weavers working together, it, it is extremely powerful. Um, so they need a bunch of restrictions. And this is, I think, one necessary restriction. But there's probably more that you can throw in there. Yes. Uh, and, and you could make things... Uh, more complicated this way, and you, if you want to really lean into the night side component of it, you might suggest that these combinations are inherently of the night side, and explore that. Why is it that combining these practices is 
a night side practice. Um, and what effect does that have on the Vizlay who are using these combinations? I think you, you could play with that as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could just say combined practices are just an experimental form of magic that are neither uh, day side nor night side. They're just a combination, but they are less stable. So here's this die. But it, this uh, th- as example of what, what I like best about the night side book is it just has a bunch of ideas in it. Mm-hmm that you can expand out in a variety of different ways. And it doesn't necessarily limit those ways. It is just almost like a commonplace book where it's just a bunch of, bunch of ideas written down and you could run with them in various directions. Yeah. I guess the other thing I would want to use that experimental die for would be to just encourage the players to get more creative with the spells and the tools that they do have, mm-hmm. because if they try to apply a spell in a situation that they're trying to justify in a way, like, Oh, can I use this spell that summons words to try and, you know, camouflage myself in this library? I I could then say, like, that sounds like an interesting idea. I'm not sure if it totally applies, but hey, let's do it here. Roll this experimental die with it because we're not sure exactly how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Because you're repurposing a spell beyond its intended purpose. Yeah. And that may have unpredictable results. Yeah, it's, a, it's an elegant solution. Uh, yeah, and it, it's not necessarily as you mentioned night side, but it is it is particularly appropriate for the night side. Mm-hmm. And there, it's it's not about necessarily destroying objects and destruct, but it's it is about destroying practices. It's about opening up what have been firmly defined rules, and that is itself sort of a night side attitude. Yeah. There are a couple of other uh, elements in this, or the early part of the book that uh, are worth mentioning, and, and we'll just kind of call them out them in somewhat more detail. Uh, there's some discussion, discussion more about mirrors. Oh, mirrors are great. I love mirrors. Yeah. And mirrors have some ties to the night side. And it's, there's a discussion of that. Yeah, they're, they're in this like intro section, and then there's a whole lot more about mirrors later on, which mm, I, I liked it. <laughs> uh, there's also a lot of discussion of demons, uh, a good chunk of which is a, the attempt to distinguish night side demons from demons from the red, from demons from the dark. <laughs> yeah, and this is where the annihilation versus chaos sort of comes into play. Right, and you, you might uh, one analogy, and it, it, this from someone who works so much on Planescape, this makes a lot of sense. You mm-hmm. might think of red side demons as being lawful evil and night side demons as being chaotic evil and the dark as being yet more chaotic, yet more evil. Yeah. Because they just want to destroy everything. Uh, but there's some specific ph- uh, new phenomenon here that are worth emphasizing. There's a, a great deal of discussion on uh, how to interact with demons that will be of use for all the goetics out there. And uh, a surpri- to be a surprising amount of emphasis on some mechanics related to a, a phenomenon called di- diabolic reticula. Yeah, this is a really interesting part for Goetics specifically, I think. Yeah, where, where if you summon multiple demons, you can kind of turn the demons into power sources or magnets or something like some way to, to uh, corrupt the area to make even more demon summoning easier. Uh, so they create this kind of focus of demonic energies 
that empower then interactions with demons. And it, it has a lot of flavor to it. Yeah, it's surprising how how much this implies in just, you know, a single page. Right. I honestly, and this, you know, I don't know if this is, I might come back to this in the summary, but the for me, the best part of this book is these are a lot of ideas I can use for the villains of my campaign. And it has the trappings um, of their activities. So even when I don't want, if there's a spell or a ritual, there's a whole lot of rituals coming up. If mm-hmm. I don't want to use those specific spells or rituals, the villain can use them. And then there's details as to what the ritual looks like, what it requires in terms of components and processes. And like now those components and processes become clues to figure out what a, someone who's using this ritual is trying to accomplish. And that has a lot of story potential. Yeah, that is cool. Um, being able to use those component lists is just set dressing and yeah, ways to clue your players in as to what might be going on. Things that they can investigate and figure out what, what's happening. Right. There's also a, a couple, a few pages on curses, which is a lot like the table of, of spell effects that weavers have to use a lot. Well, if your weavers are doing a lot of direct damage, or I, that's kind of covered by the spell effects, but cur- are they doing things that have negative consequences on a, a target, like a curse would? Uh, this is a list of curses by by spell effect level. So you can figure out, well, what does a f- level four curse look like versus a level nine curse? I mean, the level 17 curse is really great. Uh, is, is this uh, kill every like everyone in your entire history? Uh, yeah, the family line is retroactively re- erased. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, once you get up to level 17, it's pretty thorough. Yeah, very thorough. Yeah, otherwise you can hang out at level 7 and, you know, curses will turn people into slugs. That's cool. Yes. Um, but yeah, like a whole bunch about curses. And yeah, I, I guess I'd have to read through the books again to remember. Um, so I guess there are some spells that have the curse facet. And this is when that list of, you know, possible curses would really come into play as a, something useful to use. Yeah, absolutely. They could be tools of, of, of villains. Uh, but they can also be tools for your players and benchmarks to figure out if they are creating a negative effect on somebody about what kind of curse level is it like. And that's probably the level of the spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a whole bunch of new fortes. Yes. Uh, looks like six new fortes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I can uh, read some of these off to give you a sense. We're not going to go through every ability. You know, these, these take up a lot of space. And uh, you'll probably want to read them carefully yourself. But we've got uh, Embraces Nothing, uh, Foments Dissension, Herald's Plagues, Molds Flesh Like Clay, Renounces the Light, and Wallows in Despair. That last one's pretty appropriate. (laughs) It seems to be how we're all doing right now. Um, and, and so there's some variety there. Some of these emphasize the nihilism component, some the corruption or uh, conflict component, and others with this uh, the notion of, of dealing with your own inner nihilism rather than destroying the world around you, just despairing on your own. Um, the Wallows in Despair has abilities like darkness is my only solace, and I grow weary of the torment. 
the only oh so you're just making an emo band when you do this forte you you are personifying an entire emo band in yourself (laughs) uh i gotta say wallows with despair in despair and embraces nothing they have very different paths for how you advance through the forte which i i wish there was more diversity in all of the earlier fortes that came before these because right. it would be cool to have some paths that weren't just like, eh, this one is like, you know, two lines that kind of intersect with each other at a certain point or, you know, this, this is a little more interesting to me. Yeah. Usually the, in the, the original fortes were either very broad where you had to kind of go where it was spread out or it was two lines that cross over in the middle. But here, yeah, you have uh, embraces. Nothing has a much more complicated connection. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it doesn't, it isn't described easily. Uh, some of the others, Foment's Dissension has one of the traditional uh, uh, progress maps, yep. as does Herald's Plagues and yeah, Flesh Play and Renounces the Light. Just those two. Yep. It's those two. They have like two distinct paths that you can go down and they don't uh, they don't cross over at all. Right. So those are, those are very uh, interesting. I you know, check those out. Um, I don't know if any of my players are looking to change Fortes. But uh, these would be ones that I would certainly have them take a look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next big section of the book is on patrons. Surprisingly big. Yes. Um, and it, it, here we see a wider variety of patrons from patrons with very small asks and very small benefits to those with much larger asks and benefits. But all of them are tied into what is very clearly something like either a story arc or a character arc. So that it's clear how you would embed them within your story and they become story inspirations. Yeah, there there are a lot of patrons in here. <laughs> we won't read through all of them. No, um, no, we're not going to read through them. I, like, I was just surprised when I got to this section and saw how many patrons there are because, I don't know, patronage never really struck out, stuck out to me as... Uh, a big and important aspect of the game, but considering how many patrons have been showing up in the books after the initial release, it makes me wonder if it should have been more featured in those original books. Right. I believe they showed up in like the way a little bit and it was was a bunch of them in book M. Yep. And so they, they played a larger role in the expansion material than in the cube itself. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting aspect of the game, and it wasn't one I had really given much thought to until we started talking through Book M, and I said, "Boy, boy, we should uh, I should figure out uh, if any of my players want to you know deal with a patron." Yeah, this is a case where the later books change how I would have launched a campaign, mm-hmm. and and they're still usable. Uh, you can oh, yeah. still, you can introduce these at any time, but I probably would have done some different things in terms of introducing patrons to players earlier if i had known how many patron resources there would be later to support that sort of play Mm -hmm. Uh, so yes look look for patrons Uh, and again there's models for kind of big patrons and small patrons uh, all along that scale the next section is locations i mean we're we're skipping over all of the like magical practices (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. And secrets and whatnot. Um, but all that stuff is in there. It, it gets into, you know, there's a whole bunch of new 
Nightside Focus Secrets uh, and the like Vance spells and uh, aggregates and whatnot. Um, but you know, locations on the night side. You know, this would this would be a section we could probably you know break out into its own show if we wanted to. Yeah, probably. Uh, though there's only there's five of them. Yep. Um, it's uh, there's actually fewer locations here than I expected. I expected more of a location book and less of a magic practices book. But there's a lot more magic practices than I expected, and there are fewer locations. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded getting you know a nightside book that was similar to what we got for you know the like so the location information we got in Teratology was surprisingly big, and I would have I think that would have been really cool to get in here. But you know we yeah. got what we got, and it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, I think it would have helped if we had something like the Teratology set up so we know, okay, this is what Dark Side Green, or I should say Night Side, see, there I go, Night Side Green is like, and this is what Night Side Blue is like, and, and more detail on each of those. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of that in the book, but more details on that is, I expected more of those details. Uh, but instead, we got new spells and character stuff, which is is use, is also quite useful. Uh, in locations, we don't need to go into great detail on these. These are just sort of um, scary places on the path itself. You have the uh, an accidental space, uh, capital A, capital S, an actual location that doesn't really exist and can't be found unless you're not looking for it. Yeah, that feels like Invisible Sun. <laughs> that's, that's very much Invisible Sun. Uh, <laughs> this, this could be very useful if you have uh, players who are uh, dithering. Um, they're not really, it's not clear what their direction is. They don't really know where they're going. And, uh, even it, it, you might even, even if they're sitting around, it's been an hour discussing what to do next. Um, if they are wandering in their planning, you might transport them because of that lack of intentionality to the accidental space. Yeah. Hard to get into, but fairly easy to get out if you know how to teleport. Yes. Uh, we've but... got, it, the longer you stay there, it seems like the more interesting and rewarding that sort of place could be. Right. There there may be some spells. There may be some other secrets of, of, of all kinds that have found their way to the accidental space and can only be found within the accidental space. Mm-hmm. So then you have the conundrum of trying to find your way to something that cannot be found because your act of seeking it makes you ineligible. Yeah. Uh, there's something almost Arthurian about all of that, like the Grail quest. That uh, you, you have to be kind of, in this case, it's, it's pure as in lacking uh, intentionality rather than pure of heart, but something along those lines mm-hmm. to, to find whatever it is you're seeking. Uh, the next location is, is more expected. It is a club uh, on the night side of red, which is just a, very dark version of a goth club, basically. Um, you know, this is you know your Hellraiser uh, club, a sort of place. Yeah, it's a place you go when you want to, you know, punish other people or get punished yourself. Like, yeah, when I was reading through it, I'm like, oh yeah, the Cenobites would really like hanging out here. That this feels like their sort of place. And it's um, and, and it has just enough detail that you could introduce it into a campaign pretty easily by mm-hmm. having something or someone that they that the, the party needs to find go to this club. So they have to go to this club and f- find a person um, or learn a secret 
since this is a place where demons congregate. If there's a secret that demons would have, maybe they have to go to the to the club Maldoror to uh, discover the secret. So it becomes really nice set dressing. Yeah. Also a good place to find demons from the dark as well. Yes, because demons, all types of demons sort of connect there from yeah. day side to night side to dark side. Um, they all sort of come to the club, the club Maldror. Uh, then we've got the Devil's Doorbell. It's a this is Nightside of Blue, and it, an indication of what a nightmare location would be like. Yeah, it's um, like a giant office building, sort of. <laughs> Lots of different but, floors, and like it takes care of its own needs. It's got these creatures within that sort of handle all of the needs of the building itself. It can kind of appear wherever it needs to, but it exists on the night side of blue. So it has that nightmare quality to it. Yeah. Uh, then there's another kind of useful place that uh, isn't quite as flavorful or as surprising as some of the others, but very useful are the Dungeons of Ivory Sorrow, uh, which you couldn't tell by the name, but is actually intended to be a... Uh, a maker space. <laughs> yeah. So it's for the, it's for making objects that you probably don't want to make on the day side <laughs> or that people don't allow you to make on the day side. Right. Yeah. There's like a, a maker who's in charge of this place. And, you know, there's a workshop here where, Hey, if you need some sort of test subject for an unsavory experiment, I mean, this is the place to go. And given the fuzzy boundaries between dayside and nightside, it'd be interesting if you had sort of a maker-focused session, or especially if you're playing a, or a development mode session with just a maker, having a workspace that slowly transforms into the dungeons of ivory sour, sorrow would be really interesting. Where mm -hmm. you know you walk in and it's a normal sort of maker space, but if you go through the you know beaded curtains or whatever that barrier is that goes to the to the to the night side of, of what's going on, it, you actually find yourself in the night side of that probably indigo, uh, where you, you where all these uh, other world is. Uh, there's a, uh, if you wanted sort of literary inspiration, I don't remember the name of it, uh, but there is a, a short story by Thomas Ligotti about a factory where uh, kind of the, the, the farther you go. Yep. <laughs> I think it's called the Nightmare Factory, but I'm not positive. That seems... Um, uh, anyway, um, well, that's, that's the title of an anthology. Uh, but anyway, there's he has a short story about a factory that is, it, is very much in the spirit and kind of the deeper you go, it's, it, it has many, many, many levels underground and the deeper you go, the darker it gets. And I could see using that as inspiration for the uh, Dungeons of Ivory Sorrow, where the top sections look like just a, make, a traditional makerspace, but the deeper you go, you start to move into the night side, and uh, it, you have all of these other uh, unsavory making uh, spaces. The last location is really interesting to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I like this location. I'm interested in it. This is the mirrored abattoir. Yeah, more mirrors. 
this is sort of the payoff to a lot of the mirror secrets, uh, lowercase s secrets, sprinkled throughout a variety of the books. This is sort of where the mirrors go. You might, this could be the final dark secret of all the mirrors. That mirroring is just an infection that spreads these portals to the mirrored abattoir. But um, it doesn't have to be the final. It could, there could be something worse if you can imagine it. Uh, but this is a, a completely uh, uh, kind of valid interpretation of why mirrors are scary. Yeah, yeah, I like this location. It's <laughs> it's interesting. So if you like mirrors, you're probably going to like this location. Uh, there are a whole bunch of characters in this book. Yes. Uh, lots, so of, just, lots of big entities. Uh, and, and they're used to illustrate various aspects of uh, the night side, which is, mm -hmm. is not... Um, you have Orgos uh, as an example of someone who might have been a powerful uh, Vizlay, and just like characters, has grown in power and grown in power, but because of the interaction with the night side, their power has become both greater and corrupt. And so now they're connected primarily to the dark side or to the night side. Yeah, Orgos is a really interesting example of how the night side can corrupt a Vizlay and utterly change their humanity. Like it, it's, it reads like more of an abstract concept um, than a person now. And there, there's several examples that are like this, where you could just you could see an illustration of the corrupting influence of, of the night side, which of course is kind of what this book's supposed to be about. It's supposed to kind of mm -hmm. show you how the night side operates. Here it shows you how it operates by illustrating the effect of the night side on specific characters. Uh, so this is, you know, the a, a warning to the players <laughs> about what could happen if they interact too much with the night side. Yeah, then there's a little bit, like, there's a whole bunch of setting when it comes to reading these character descriptions. Like, the King of the Oubliette is an NPC that exists on the night side of green, and it gives you a bunch of information about what could be on the night side of green without really giving you like a detailed location description, but there's a whole bunch of stuff here. And if you read through all of these NPCs and characters, like you're going to get a lot more setting information just from their descriptions. And so it's, everyone tells a bit of a different story. Different characters will sort of appeal to you and teach you different lessons. Uh, but as a whole, it's a nice uh, rogues gallery of characters illustrating the influence of Nightside on Vizlay, usually Vizlay. Mm -hmm. um, we've been talking about this for quite a bit. Uh, do you have any sort of summary comments or reactions? I think the Nightside is a pretty interesting book overall. Like I, I'm a big fan of how strange and weird the stuff is that you that we've gotten here, and how you know dark everything sort of feels. Um, I haven't taken the time to uh, figure out what the uh, script reads in here. Uh, there's a whole bunch of the, uh, I don't know if it was Vizlay script, um, but there's a, a bunch of uh, you know script in here that is just a little bit different than what came in the core books. So at some point, I'll probably go in and translate everything because um, I'm curious to see what it says. Um, 
Oh, also there are some flipbook things going on in here as well. Um, there's one that's pretty obvious. There's another one that just kind of shows up that I, I just noticed today while we were talking, but I like this book. Like if I was running invisible sun right now, I would probably be pulling some of this stuff in to give me an idea of what to do when my characters go back to these nightside places. Cause it would have been good to have this sort of setting information and inspiration when they were doing that. Yeah, I've been waiting eagerly for this book. Uh, I wanted to know more about the night side. Uh, it doesn't have the setting style information that I was hoping for, mm -hmm. but instead it has it is just dripping with inspiration. Yep. Like every page has some idea, just one sentence that just is like, oh, I could tell three sessions worth of story off of this idea. And I it, so it's much more of an idea book than it is a setting book. Um I'll probably read through the characters in more detail after this um, because I could see pulling some of the stuff from here for inspiration for uh, a game like Morkborg, which is, you know, a dark sort of fantasy RPG. Um, so that'd be, that'd be really good for inspiration. Oh, also I could use some of the like demons and whatnot that they have in here as like inspiration for uh, running descent into Avernus, which, Hey, once we start dealing with devils and demons, that, that could be useful. Right, the, the list of, of curses by level could be useful in a variety of games because mm -hmm. just it's just a bunch of different curses that you could use with some sense of a hierarchy of which ones should be harder to cast, which ones have a more dire effect on their target. Uh, so there's there's useful things not just for uh, Invisible Sun games, but really whenever you're, you have villains or your characters dabbling in dark uh, magics, uh, or in this case, we call them nightside magics. Uh, then there's a lot of resources here, but it it, it, it surprised me that it's more about characters than I expected, and less about setting. Mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of setting material there. It's just not in sections called like. I mean, there are some sections on locations, but uh, it's not just an entire book of locations. Instead, it, it tries to give you the flavor of the nightside, so that you can build your own nightside green. And you've got a, you only maybe have three or four different references to the night side of green, but from those references and from all the general discussion of the night side, you can build up what the night side of green would look like versus yep. the night side of blue um, and even the night side of indigo, which would be uh, particularly terrifying. So was there a reference to there not being a night side of, of gray? Um, I don't, remember reading that i thought that gray had a night side um i think that was in one of the other books yeah, i can't remember what the status of that was but it, it was peculiarly missing here there's references to night side green blue and red and indigo and um there was yeah maybe maybe there is no night side of gray that does sound kind of familiar yeah or or it's like just a wasteland it's just well it's, night side of indigo i think falls into that sort of wasteland category because there's yeah. like nothing there. Yep. Though it has its own uh, warden. Yeah. Uh, also, night side of silver and and gold, I don't think have been described as well as the others or, or don't have as much inspiration as the others. So there's a lot of room to play. Mm -hmm. uh, but this gives you a tool set that you can use to build out these locations that maybe aren't described in great detail. Yeah. 
So all in all, I, I'm, I'm very happy with the book. Uh, it is not what I expected, but it's kind of funny how often my reviews end up say, being something along those lines. The <laughs> Incaridian uh, in Free not what I expected, but really neat. Uh, the Night Side, not what I expected, but it's, it is, what it is, is quite good. Um, and it is good at what it's trying to do. Uh, so it does give me this, a toolkit I can use for stories intersect with the Night Side. And I expect uh, I'll be doing a lot more of that in my, uh, th- this, this season of my Invisible Sun game. Uh, and this sets us up for the final release we mentioned before, The Threshold, which is a book about the labyrinth. And I basically have no idea what that's going to be about. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about it as well. But how they're going to fill a book on that, I don't know, but they know. And so I am excited to uh, see what comes, comes of that. Uh, well, and we are committed to doing a review of the threshold, just like we're doing the uh, the night side. Oh, we're committed to it. I thought I, I thought we were. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I can get down with that. Okay. <laughs> We've who, who knows when it's going to be? Holy cows! Yeah, it might be. It's light. Well, it's definitely months from now. Yeah, months from now. Um, yeah, we should we should reach out to Brandon and check in with him about the threshold because he's super interested in it. That would be great. But hey, I don't know. Until then, like, stay safe, everybody. Absolutely. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, It really helps us out. Uh, We also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, Or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and help people find us.